Today is Mother's Day, and this is not a Christian holiday per se, but we are happy as Christians to join in the celebration of our moms and our grandmothers and women in general, right? That's a good thing. It is important to affirm the goodness of what God has made, especially in the face of overwhelming pressure. And let the world say what they're going to say about what Christians believe about women. We're just going to keep doing what the Lord has told us to, and we'll know the truth, right? I've said for a long time, the Christian church ought to have the most masculine men and the most feminine women in the world. Because we believe that the differences between men and women are not just real, first of all. They are real. They're not only good, but they are God-given. They are God-ordained. And so we take a stand on every matter that the Bible puts forward. And as time goes on, the culture swings back and forth. And different issues that were never in question before are become hot buttons. And this is one of them. So we have to stand on this. And I like to take Mother's and Father's Day aside to talk about the, these issues related to to gender and to male and female, because it's an important conversation to be having. And I don't think I'm going to say anything new today, but it's good to hear it said. And and sometimes if no one else says it, you can start to feel like you're the crazy one in the room. Amen. So we're, we're not going to be talking about a lot of controversial stuff today, but we're just going to be reminding what the Bible says and what's good. And I will be taking the time today to address some of the areas where moms, especially, but women in general, Although these things will apply to all of us, guys, you'll get your turn in June. We're, we're going to see on how these things apply to the women in the church. And we're going to see how, whether it's from ideology that is pushing something on purpose, whether it's just advertising that this is the best way to get people clicking and spending, or whether it's just the way culture shifts and moves, that for, for women and for all of us, but especially for women and mothers in particular today, the, the matters of the flesh which is that body that, that still is, is full of sin and needs to be redeemed. The flesh is, is constantly being pushed to the edge and overheated. And it's, it's a sad thing to watch, and it's a hard thing to resist. And so we're going to take the time to briefly, for each of these, counter some of the distortions that we see, and then return to the positive affirmation of what God and the Word says. And some of these things, as I say, they don't make me uncomfortable, but... It's, it's something that I feel like I, I shouldn't have to say and I don't like saying, right? But here's what I've discovered. I'll just tell you this story in case you don't know it. The last, one of the last classes I taught for our college ministry before I left Virginia was a, th- I think it was three or four weeks on gender, sexuality, and marriage. And everything that I taught, most people were 100% in line with. We had a lot of people from Liberty. They were all down with it. Until the last night when we had a question and answer time. And I realized that there were plenty of people in that room that were nodding and saying amen to all of it, who yet had very different ideas about those things, gender, sexuality, and marriage. And I couldn't figure it out, and I thought about it, and there was one particular question, without getting into all the details, that made me realize, the way we need to engage this conversation is at the level of application as a church. Not just, but not primarily at the level of theology, or at the level of philosophy and all this stuff, not theoretical. It's when it gets to the practical that things start to go off. The question that was asked was, we were talking kind of the same idea that God has created men to be men and women to be women, and men ought to be masculine because that's how God made us. And then some girl raised her hand, yeah, that's true, but I mean, 
you know, some men are just not going to be as, as tough as others and they're not going to dress like other men or talk like other men. It's not fair to, you know, really push that on them. And that's when it clicked. That's where we're losing this fight. Everybody can say okay and agree with it. So you can tell a young man in her, in her example, yeah, you need to be a man. That's how God made you. But if you let him act and dress and speak according to something that is not what God has designed while still saying, oh, he's okay because there's grace for that, that's where we lose the battle. So this is going to be very practical in a lot of ways, right at the level of application because that's where the war needs to be fought. And the word I want to focus on today is modesty, which is hardly a hot commodity today, is it? No, nobody's really, you know, hashtag modesty. That's not something you're seeing. What does that mean? It means to be free from ostentation or vanity. Y'all know what ostentatious is, right? Ostentatious is the NBA playoffs at the post-game conference when they're wearing, like, these things that no one else in the entire world wears. Ostentatious. Vanity. Modesty means to be decent. There's another word that isn't really being championed anywhere, is it? Decency. I talk about free from ostentation and vanity, decent, modest. That's hardly a description of 2022 America's ideal woman, is it? Or ideal man, for that matter. And I know in this room there are many of us and many of you that have struggled against these things, whether it's yourself or with your children or with your siblings or your friends that fall into this trap. And I hope, number one, we can set you free from bondage to this stuff and just say, who cares what's being pushed on you? Just be who God has created you to be. And also to motivate you to say, yeah, I'm going to live up to the way God has laid it out. And the good news about this stuff is when you try to find out what God has ordained for men and women, it's not that radical. It's just normal in a lot of ways. It's just be who God has made you to be. And don't let anybody tell you that who you are is not good enough and you've got to be like something else. So we're going to look at modesty today in five areas. We're applying this specifically to women, although we'll apply it to all of us. And uh, I think there's a lot for us to learn and a lot for us to affirm here. So let's go ahead and dive in. And we're going to have a lot of different scriptures that we'll look at today. First, a godly woman ought to be modest in status. In status. What does that mean? It means to be content with the life you have and not feel the need to boast about it or put it in somebody else's face, or make somebody else feel bad for what they have. Immodesty in regards to status leads to the attitude of a snob. Now we think modest only in terms of clothing, but the, de the definition is so much bigger than that. An immodest person in regard to status is a snob, either by trying to make themselves appear higher than they are, or by condescending to those beneath you. Let me explain what those two things are. First of all, an immodest person in regards to status who doesn't feel like they're where they should be is going to try and act and dress and talk in such a way that they seem higher than they actually are. And they'll go around trying to make other people feel lower and try to push themselves up and they're boastful and they're arrogant or by condescending to those who you see as beneath you. I worked for a while, as you know, for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and I would be treated totally different the second I put on that blue uniform and those blue pants and the work boots and walk around. There'd be people, not just women, obviously, just people that would just, they treat you different. And I can't even give a lot of examples necessarily, but you talked about like you're not in the room or condescended to. Like one lady, she says, it is just so unfair the amount they make you work for the amount of money they're charging you. 
And I said, well, no, I, I feel like they do a good, they do right by me. And I, you know, this is, this is the job that I've chosen. She goes, but it's just, it's just not fair. You should, no one should be paid the way you're being paid for the job you're doing. And she's trying to be nice, but it's like, you're not making me feel good, lady. All right. You're, you're, she's like, I, just, I would never, I can't imagine one of my children working a job like that. It's like, thank you. Cause I am working a job like that. That's immodesty in status, whether that's boastful or condescending. And women can be just as guilty of the same pride as men can when it comes to this. And sometimes more so. I have found in many cases, in not all cases, but in many, if there is a, a husband who is very successful and he has a wife who perhaps doesn't work, stays at home with the family, she can be sometimes more vicious in defending their place and status than he is. And I don't know if there's insecurity related to that. I'm not even going to speculate, but you'll see this where it'll be great to get along with him, but she kind of wants you to keep your distance. So what does the Bible say? That's immodesty in status, but there's an example from 1 Samuel 25. This is a hilarious, but also kind of dangerous story. David, when he was on the run from Saul, was guarding the sheep of a guy named Nabal. And you guys know what the name Nabal means? Fool. That was the name his mama gave him, so he lived up to it anyway, but... David was guarding his flocks, and then sheep shearing came around. That was a big festival, right? It was something they did. So he sent a letter to Nabal, and he said, listen, we've been guarding your flocks. We're not charging anything, but, you know, could you send us some stuff so that we can make merry for the festival? And Nabal came back and said, I don't even know who you are, and if you try to make any more trouble, I'm sending you back to Saul. I'll make one phone call, and you're out of here. You're nothing. Why should I pay attention to you? Now, you know a little something about David David was not a peaceful man, shall we say. And so David said, saddle up, boys. I'll show that man and garden his flocks. I'm going to see what happens to Nabal when I show up. And so David saddles up with his mighty men to come and take care of Nabal. You ever wonder that phrase, acting a fool, comes from? It comes from that. Just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> but in 1 Samuel 25, Nabal's wife, Abigail, sees what's going on. She gets all the stuff they would need for the feast and rides out ahead of them to meet David. And she says in 1 Samuel 25, 26, Now then, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, speaking to David, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving your own land, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal, my husband. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. Abigail comes out and humbles herself before David. She comes and she brings everything that they had asked for and everything that they would need. She gets off the horse, the donkey, whatever it was, bows before David. You see the language she's using. She calls him my Lord, refers to herself as your servant. And she says, please forgive this trespass. She hadn't done anything, but her husband had. She stepped in. She was willing to share. She was willing to step down from her status. And she was willing to speak highly of one who in society was beneath her was essentially an employee, a contractor of hers. And that is a great example of modesty in status, whereas her husband, Nabal, showed the exact opposite of that. You work for me, pal. I just make one phone call, and Saul will be down here with a spear to pin you to the ground. That's modesty, what Abigail showed. It dictates that people are people, and they deserve to be treated indifferent to their status. 
Right? It doesn't matter if I'm rich. It doesn't matter if I'm poor. I'm not going to treat you badly because you're rich. I'm not going to treat you badly because you're poor. Or whatever status marker you're using. I've been at the job longer than you or shorter than you. Whatever it might be. And a godly woman ought to cultivate this attitude of modesty in status. It means that she is able to be approached regardless of who she is. Especially in the church. And I'd say we do a really good job of that. And I commend all of you for doing that. That we, we don't really worry about that. We don't really worry about where we live or what kind of jobs we have or what kind of income we have, what kind of cars we drive. And that is good. That a, that a modest woman in her status can be appreciated by everybody. That they say, oh, you know, those people, they're all like that. But you know what? She's okay. She doesn't do that kind of stuff. Ought to be the outlier. Ought to be the exception. Regardless of her wealth or her poverty. Because, you know, this can go both ways, don't you know? You can be rich and looking down on other people, and you can be poor and being spiteful towards everybody who has more than you. But a godly woman, and men as well, but a godly woman ought to be able to move freely in all those different societies, be able to be kind and not flaunt her wealth and not make other people feel badly about what they have or don't have. Ultimately, our example here is Jesus Christ, amen? Philippians 2 verse 6 says that he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. That's what we do with our status, right? We hold on to it as tightly as we can. Jesus was, was equal with God, and he let it go for our benefit. He humbled himself, becoming a servant. So, ladies, don't bow to the pressure to be flashy, to feel like you've got to pump yourself up when you're among your peers, among other people, to make you feel good about yourself. You know, your worth is, is completely detached in God's eyes from what you have and your status and your place. And we can, we can fall into that. And sometimes it's TV pressure. You know, sometimes it's music videos and, and stuff online. And sometimes it's just the circles you run in. That's how everybody does. There's a pecking order. There's a hierarchy. And everybody knows their place. And, you know, I've, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I finally kind of moved up. So if I'm kind to them, then it might make me fall down the ladder. Who cares? We're modest in our status, especially the women in the church. Amen? Secondly, a godly woman ought to be modest in her disposition, her attitude. What does that mean? It means to be kind. It means to be gentle. It means to be compassionate. That is what the Bible says. That's modesty. It's not ostentatious. It's not loud. It's just what it ought to be. It's gentle. It's kind. Immodesty in disposition is raucous and loud, and critical, very quick to argue, is kind of letting their personality be thrown around. Sometimes, this can be a deliberate lack of feminine grace out of shame. Because you have been in a, you've heard a teacher, you've heard a neighbor, you've heard someone in your life that shames women who act ladylike, shall we say. So, I've, I've seen this. So, that they deliberately go out of their way to be abrasive. Or deliberately go out of their way to talk like men instead of talking like women because they feel like it's going to bring them down and degrade them. Because the world is constantly talking about strong women, right? Now, we just read Proverbs 31. The Bible likes strong women. Abigail was a strong woman. J.L. was a strong woman. Remember her? She drove a tent peg into the enemy general's head when he was sleeping in her house. So strong woman, great. But here's what happens. Strong woman usually goes through this process of evaluation and out on the other side comes rude and sarcastic. You see this on TV sometimes. You know, she's obnoxious. She's angry. She gets on everybody's nerves. But that's what makes her a strong woman. Oh, you don't like that? No, no one likes that. 
whether that's men or women. That's not modesty and disposition. When kindness and gentleness are seen as weaknesses, we're in some serious trouble, aren't we? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, something that's to apply to everybody, not just the ladies, says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. We kind of just talked about that. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Irritable and resentful. That's not love. Kindness, being patient and sweet and loving. These are ideals to strive for. Usually we talk about them like personality types. Well, I'm just, I'm just not a nice person. Well, then you better gotta work on that. I'm just, you know, I was raised to be tough and I was raised to be, okay, great. Are you working to cultivate kindness? Oh, I'm just an irritable person. All right, Bible says love is not irritable. So are you working on that? Are we striving to be like Christ? Modesty does not make an idol out of your own opinions, your own reputation, but it's willing to defer those things out of love. Consider a godly woman. Have you ever known one of those godly women who's followed Jesus for like 70 years and she's in the church and you talk to her and everyone just kind of has a hush when she speaks? There's several of those ladies I can think of back in my, my home church that just has a grace about her. What a wonderful word that is. Use the word graceful, but we also talk about grace, like the grace that Christ has. And that kind of woman will endear herself to those who are around her when she's not nitpicking other people. She's not being stubborn and standing on her own way. She's not being loud to try and draw attention to herself. She's not using her emotions and her voice as a weapon. Well, if I don't do that, then I'll be steamrolled. People will walk all over me. No, they won't. No, they won't. Can, have you ever been around a, a kind, sweet woman, whether that she's older or younger, and somebody comes up and starts being rude? You get like 100 people who immediately gather around and is like, bro, you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to me. You're not talking to her that way. In fact, Ephesians 4.32 says we are all to be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. Fellow's like, not me. Oh, yes, you too. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, being kind. Jesus is our example. Jesus was not prickly. <laughs> Jesus was not abrasive. Jesus was the kind of person that even those that were in deep, depraved sin felt comfortable coming up and asking for forgiveness. Ladies, don't let the world convince you that to be a good woman, you have to be irritable, and that you have to be loud, and you have to be getting in people's face and insisting on your own way. All these things the Bible tells us not to do. How many times does the word use the word gentle to describe what a godly woman ought to be? Especially that irritable and resentful part. This is, you know, you see this, I see this attitude in commercials a lot. I see this around and, you know, online where, you know, it's like women resent their kids. Or, or they're, they're just grumpy about every little thing that comes up and it's like, oh, I can't believe this, these awful children and, oh, this job is getting me. And it's like, what is that? That's not godly, whatever that is. There's, there's to be a modesty of disposition that we all ought to cultivate, but especially for our ladies. Number three, a godly woman ought to be modest in her relationships. This means she does not treat her family like an object. What does immodesty in relationships look like? Well, it views motherhood or marriage or whatever it is as one among many identities to use. We got a problem with subcultures in the United States, do we not? 
We're like, we're narrowing and narrowing and narrowing the things we're into. And then we take that little thing and we define our entire lives by it. And you see this. This is not just, I'm a mother and I have children. It's like, I'm a mom. And if you know that about me, you know everything about me. We got, we, you know, we got to have a bumper sticker. We've got to have a t-shirt. I'm married to this guy and that's my whole thing. And what can happen is you start to use your children, your parents, your husband, like a prop. Because this is my thing and this is who I am. And these kids make me who I am. So we got to make sure that, that they're all set up properly and everything looks good. Rather than simply being who she is, this woman feels the need to get approval and applause from people for being who she is. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, Train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. It's a good thing to put your, your love and your energy and your attention into your family. That's a good thing for all of us. The Bible tells us to tend your own garden and enjoy it. And don't worry about what anybody else has to say about it. That's the, one of the greatest blessings God has given us in this life, is to be together with the people who love you no matter what, and the people that you have the opportunity to raise and to watch them grow. Modesty is content to love and be loved. It does not feel the need to grab attention from elsewhere. That's modesty, right? Modesty is not ostentatious. It's decent. So modesty in our relationships means I'm not going to be a mother so that other people can see me be a mother. I'm not going to be a wife so that other people can see me be a wife. And you can apply that across the board. Jesus said, beware of performing your righteousness before men. Remember that? He said, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. If you're doing a good thing, great. But when we define ourselves by the approval of other people, that's not good. When we feel the need that every time we clean the house, every time we cook dinner, every time the kids do something good, every time we go on vacation, we've got to let the whole world know so that they can cheer us on and make me feel like I'm doing something good. That's not healthy, first of all, because then what happens if you don't get enough response? What happens if not enough people tell you what a wonderful person you are? We don't need to show things off because we're in the moment. We're loving these people. We cheer the kids on at their games because we love them, right? You're taking care of your husband because you love him. We're cooking and cleaning because we love these people. And we're trying to make this house a home for them to live in. Not so that other people will look at it and tell us how great we are. And every one of us can learn this lesson. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 tells us that in such a vain, unfair, short life, the good thing God has given to you is to delight in your wife and your children and, of course, thereby your husband as well. To eat your food and your drink with joy and to not worry about what everybody else is going to say. That's one of the joys of life. So when you take one of the joys of life and you try to commodify it, you're, you're sapping the joy out of one of the most joyful things God has ever given. And guys, you've got to learn that lesson too. You don't need to parade your wife or your girlfriend around so that everybody can know how, who you are. She won't like it, and eventually you're going to not like it very much either. Don't live life detached. That's the problem that we have. We, we detach one, one level. We're kind of watching ourselves do things rather than just doing things. Okay, this is good, but, you know, the lighting's not so great in, in this shot. Or, you know, okay, kids, they're coming. No, she's coming over here. So everybody make sure you say the things I told you to say so that they know how great I am. 
Right? All right, boss is coming over for dinner, kids. I want everybody's hair combed and, you know, darling, you need to kind of make yourself look a little better and make sure everything is cleaned. And hey, we can do all those things. But if we're doing them because we need the approval of somebody else, that's immodesty. It's ostentatious. It's loud. It's, it's putting itself forward. When it says in 1 Corinthians 13 again, love does not parade itself. Just be who you are. Don't feel like in order to be, for me to feel like I'm a wife or a mother, I've got to do these things. The only thing you need to do to be a wife or a mother is to be married and have children. You already are who you're trying to be. So stop striving. Just delight in what's right in front of you. Modest in our relationships. Number four, a godly woman ought to be modest in her appearance. And this is the usual definition of modesty, isn't it? And we've got to reclaim it because it seems to have fallen by the wayside. Immodesty in regards to appearance is dressing in order to become an object of lust. Dressing and acting provocatively in order to stimulate attention from men. Promoting and prioritizing the outer beauty to the expense of the inner beauty that the Bible tells us is so important. And you all know you do not need to necessarily be dressed provocatively to be immodest. We've all known that, that girl, perhaps, where she, you know, nothing she's wearing or doing is, seems, seems bad on the surface, but the way she speaks and the way she conducts herself and touches, that it, it's immodest. And you know, it is such a tragedy that right now, it seems that beauty is not being defined by mom. Beauty is not being defined by friends even. Beauty is being defined by the internet. And this is a, a trap that our young women, and it's not just the young women, are falling into. Where they feel the need that if I don't have pictures online that make people go crazy, that somehow I'm not living up to who I ought to be as a woman. And the, the, the scary thing, and I'm gonna, I, I thought about saying this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it because I think it needs to be said. The trickle down that you have with young and older women posting provocative images online is, is walking in the footsteps of the porn star. I'm going to go ahead and say that because that is what is being done. And you can give as many reasons as you want. Oh, this is just me. I want to feel good about myself. I want to do that. What is happening when a young woman or an older woman posts images online that are immodest, that are intended to stimulate lust? It is accomplishing the same thing. We ought to flee from that kind of stuff. That has nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with a godly woman. And gentlemen, don't you be pressuring your wife to do that kind of stuff. That's an impending disaster that we're seeing this as if it wasn't hard enough for the young ladies. And gentlemen, we've got to stop encouraging that. We've got to stop rewarding that behavior. Ladies, you've got to stop rewarding that behavior with each other. When your friend puts that up on the internet, you've, you've got to stop saying, oh, you look so great. No, a phone call is in order to say, what are you doing? You need to honor your body better than that. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 through 4 says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. You know, that whole inner beauty thing that the world talks about, that's God's idea. That's God's idea. And beauty is a good thing. Read the, read the Song of Solomon again, in case you're not sure. 
Read the Proverbs. Read what it says about Rachel, what it says about Sarah, what it says about these godly women in the Bible. Beauty is a good thing, which is why immodesty is such a tragedy. Because it is a corruption of something that is good. And can I just say to, to whether you're here or you're watching on the live stream, and to be clear, I have no individuals in mind as I say these things, but for those of you ladies that feel like you need to dress immodestly or post pictures online that are provocative in order to get the attention of guys, I promise you that is not the attention you want. Every guy I meet is a, is a scumbag because that's the way you're going about getting their attention. Why don't any good Christian guys want to be with me? Because those, that's not what attracts good Christian godly men. It's simply not. And eventually, even if you, you get into a relationship that way, that man will despise it in the end. Because that's one thing when you're young, and it's one thing when you're you know, a young man and you're growing up, but eventually men get to the place where it's like, what are you doing? This isn't right. And you are being used. Oh, it's empowering. No, it's not. Whoever, whoever came up with that line is in serious trouble with the Lord one day. Modesty values the body and the intimacy of love between a man and a woman too much to treat it like an object. No, your, your body, your appearance, your love is worth more than to just be distributed for free or to be shown to those that are around you. A godly woman is to be beautiful, but she does not seek to provoke lustful attention. And you all know the difference. We all know the difference. We don't need to be silly here. A godly woman is kept for her husband, whether or not she's met him yet. She's content with his affections rather than chasing after others. And I will say, if you spend your young years getting attention that way and then you get married, it's very hard to turn it off. And you feel like I've spent my whole life getting attention from countless men, and now I'm supposed to get it from one, and I don't know how to do that. Don't play that game. Just stop it right now. Take, take the time to look beautiful. That's a godly thing to do. But there's a difference between beauty and immodesty. It's easy to provoke a reaction when you're immodest, which is why a lot of young ladies do it. And that's a tragedy. In the church, we've got to promote modesty and beauty. And this is truly countercultural, is it not? There are people that will march in the streets for this kind of stuff. But it's not working. Can we just agree on that? It's not working. Why do so many young women feel cheapened by the men they encounter? Because this is what they're doing. And the fellas are not helping the situation. You'll get your turn on, in June. Don't, don't worry, fellas. <laughs> Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 7 says, Do not awaken love until it pleases. What does that mean? Do not stir up those lustful affections and attentions until they can be satisfied in marriage. Oh, that seems so Puritan. Yep. Right. But guess who, but you know, that's, this is what Christians do and it's so boring and it's so lame. Well, guess who stays married the longest? Guess who statistically are shown to be the happiest in their marriages and the most satisfied in their sexual lives? It's evangelical Christians because we're doing it God's way. Happier in their lives. Happier because we're doing it. That's not even Bible. That's just, that's just the world knowing this. And they scratch their heads and go, why is that? And we say things like, well, we train our young women to be modest and our young men to take care of them and to save it for marriage. Oh, that's so, that would never work. It is working. It is working. We got to learn to grow up. 
right? We've got to learn to say, I'm not going to conduct myself this way any longer. Especially those of you women who are, are older, who have moved on past that stage of your life when everybody was looking at you and paying you that kind of attention. And you feel like you've got to reclaim that decades later. Don't do that. Don't try to do that. Be content. It's like when you graduate high school, you miss it, but it's over. It's time to move on. This is what phases of life are for Christians. We, we have that stage of life when we're young and when we're in love and we're Twitter-pated. I watched Bambi with my kids yesterday. We're all Twitter-pated and there's a time to move on from that. There's a time to have children and move on from that. Then there's a time to have grown children and have grandchildren and move on. We've got to be able to keep moving forward and not grab onto that one phase of life and try to hold it in place. You'll shame yourself. Don't do that. Let me set you free from that. You don't need to be that. doesn't matter what your friends are doing. Because we are only looking for the love from each other. So fellas, you better make sure that you're giving your wife the attention she deserves and needs and is owed by you so that she doesn't feel the need to go after it somewhere else. Number five, a godly woman ought to be modest in her occupation. This is not just mean job. Whatever occupies your time. Rather than trading your joy for success, we are to be modest in our occupation. What does the opposite of that look like? Immodesty of occupation is to neglect your family and the ones you love, to neglect the Lord, to neglect your home, and the pursuit of a job, the pursuit of an award of some kind, a hobby, a degree. It's not enough just to have it. Everything bows down to it. That's immodesty of occupation. And again, this can apply to men and women where everything in your life bows down to this one objective you have. Not talking about hustling, not talking about working hard. I'm talking about everything else gets shoved down for your sake. That's not good. And you know, there is, again, so much cultural pressure on the women in our day that they've got to go out and make something of themselves. Not just because this is what you do when you grow up, but because if you don't, then you're failing you're failing to take a stand at being a strong 21st century woman. And if you don't, then you're letting the patriarchy own you and rule you. And it's not good. And in fact, this is one of the primary drivers behind the tragedy of abortion too. If you have a child now, you'll never accomplish anything. As if having a child is not an accomplishment. Oh, come on, that's just, that's old-fashioned, that's just, that's just puritanical, that's just trying to make women be housewives. Well, first of all, what's wrong with that in the first place? But second of all, th these women are driven to these extreme places so that they can keep living the life they had and accomplish more and make more. And so many, I've talked to so many that come to the place where they got it all, and now it's too late to have all the things that they rejected. Whereas if we were modest in our occupation and the things that we pursued, then we would not have that problem. Let's look back at the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31, 27 through 28. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So she's hustling. She's working hard. She does not eat the bread of idleness. She says, if I eat bread, it's going to be bread that I planted and harvested and baked myself. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So you see that there is, there's harmony here. That she's working hard and she's putting forth effort for the sake of her husband and her children and her household. Not to the exclusion. I think one of the biggest tragedies that we have today is that we pit work against home. Like They should be working in tandem with one another. 
that we work to support the home. And then the home thereby works to help us be successful at work or in whatever our pursuits are. You see, the virtuous woman works hard, but never to the neglect of her family or to the neglect of her role as a woman. Modesty is willing to be thought of as inferior by somebody else in order to properly care for a house and for a family. By the way, you know, dad can buy a house, but mama makes it a home. Dads are not very good at that, I have found. As long as everything is kind of out and you know where it is, it's like, it's all good. But my wife, she makes it a home. She comes in there and, and she just sees it and she knows what needs to be done. And even when we don't have all the things that we'd like to have right now, so I can make the best of it. And I'm, my wife has worked and I, there was a while where I was home with the kids a lot of the time and then she was at work. So I'm not even talking about that. But she never worked to the exclusion of the family and the exclusion of the role that God had given her to play. A godly woman might work, and she might go out and achieve. She might be successful, whether that's, it doesn't have to be in the workplace. It can be in athletics. It can be in any other kind of hobby you might have. But she never does that. A modest, godly woman doesn't do it out of cultural pressure and obligation. I talked to a ton of graduating seniors when I was a youth pastor. And one of the most common things I heard from the graduating ladies is, I don't really want to go to college. I don't really want to get a job. I would like, I'd be there with Catelyn, she'd be like, I'd, I'd like to get married and have children and be home like you are. A lot of them, many of them, most of them. But they would say, but I just feel like if I don't, that I'm somehow failing and that my parents are pushing me and my school is pushing me and like I'm getting all this pressure on me to go out. And so they go out with every intention of getting a degree and working a job so that then eventually they can feel like they paid their dues and then come home and do what they want to do. But then like their, their youth is half over and they feel like they missed out. Why are we putting that pressure on our young ladies? So many people, and I'm speaking now to the, the older crowd here, that there's this sense that, oh, the young people, they're, they're, they've moved on. It's a totally different culture. They don't want anything else. You're wrong. You're wrong. They want it the way you had it. They want it the way it's always been, particularly in the church. The guys want to be guys the way their grandpas were guys. The ladies want to be ladies the way their grandmothers were. So we got to stop pushing it in the other direction. And a modest woman does not balk at the insults she receives when she declines to advance. When she says, I'm going to, I'm going to raise these children. And then she goes to the ball field. And then there's the high-powered woman sitting next to you talking about all the things she's done. Oh, what do you do? I'm, I'm home with my children. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, that's good. That's good that you do that. Oh, we've had those conversations a million times. Oh, so just one income, huh? So is that, is that hard for y'all? Oh, we've had that question before, for sure. Oh, it's just so hard. And, and here's the thing. Can I just say this as, as an opinion of mine? I'm not trying to come at anybody. But a lot of times what you see when you've got both, both of them working and both of them doing the job, one of them is just paying for daycare. That, like Daycare costs so much that the other one is, is working the job to pay for somebody else to watch the kids. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, especially if you need it. But it makes you go, well, why are we working at all? Well, I just feel like I kind of have to. I don't want to be looked down. I don't want to seem like I haven't accomplished anything. Let go of all that. Let the world do what they're going to do. Let the church stand on what God has ordained. Regardless of your sex, you must never let your occupation steal your love. It doesn't have to be job. It can be fitness that steals your love. It can be investing that steals your love. It can be your friend group that steals your love. 
Psalm 127 verse 2 says, you can stay up late and eat the bread of anxious toil, but if God doesn't build the house, it's not going to happen. You've got to let the Lord lead you. There's such a strong attack on our wives and our daughters that are just scoffed at. Scoffed at. Let's disregard that scoffing together, shall we? Can we as a, as a, as a church just prioritize and value and celebrate mothers and wives you know, the world says they do, but then they say, well, unless you're, you're acting like men usually act, you're not a good woman. It's kind of silly, isn't it? Are these ideas old-fashioned? Yeah. Yes, they are. I think people are ready for a little old-fashioned, don't you? Yes. The key is modesty. What is modesty again? It's a lack of ostentation. It's decency. It's a lack of vanity. It's, it's contentment with a quiet smile. Modesty knows what it has and doesn't feel the need to parade it. It enjoys what it has. It knows what it lacks and doesn't worry about it. Other people yell and scream and you just kind of smile and say, well, you can think that if you want to. The family is to be that supportive unit where it's like, I I don't care what the rest of them are saying because we have each other. I've said this about the guys a million times. Ladies, if you support and love your husband, it doesn't matter what happens on in that job. He'll get up and he'll go conquer the world tomorrow. Same thing for your wives, gentlemen. If you come home and love her and prioritize her and tell her how much you appreciate her and care about her and give her the affection she deserves, she's not going to be tempted to go after these other things. Same thing with your kids. Make them feel safe in the home. Make them feel wanted because they are wanted, right? But make sure they know that they're wanted. Don't provoke them. Children, same thing for your parents. They've never done this before. They never had kids before they had you. So give them a break every once in a while. Take it easy. Let, love them and show them. And the family stands together against the assaults of the world. That's why God gave us family in the first place. As I said, the battle is won or lost at the level of application. Oh, yes, I agree with all that stuff. But then somebody says, but don't post those pictures online. Well, hey, look, you can't tell me what to do. Okay, well, right there. That's where we're going to lose the battle. We talked about these things. Let's run them again. Modesty in status. We don't, we don't care whether we're rich or poor. And we certainly don't try to put it on somebody else. Modesty and disposition. We just read a kind and gentle spirit. Kindness. Approachableness. Modesty in relationships. Not treating your family or your friends or the people you love like objects, but just enjoying what's right in front of you. Modesty in appearance. Just like you always think. Beauty is ruined by a modesty. So don't go there. And number five, modesty and occupation. Whether it's work or whether it's fun or whether it's anything else, don't trade joy for success. Don't trade that love that only comes in the family for success. And I know we've been applying this to the women, but guys, there's plenty for us to learn here too. But guys, we've got to be the champions for the women in our lives and not let that constant voice that you hear on TV, online, in music, in the radio that tells you you don't have anything to say and you need to just shut up and let it go. Be a man and lead your family. Love your wife. Support her. And don't let her fall prey to those pressures that are not good for her. Your daughters, your nieces, your friends, your daughter's friends that come over, your wife's friends that come over. You stand up and be a rock of support for them. So on this Mother's Day, ladies, we celebrate you. Our mothers, our grandmothers, our future mothers. Don't let the world stir up your flesh, but delight in your families. Live your own life 
and delight in your own life. And above all, serve the Lord Jesus so that when you stand before God and he says, how did you serve me as a mother? You'll be able to say, I served you well, Lord.